listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So we're continuing our sermon series on owning the moment, and this week we're going to be looking at the topic of money. And probably even in my saying that, some of you, your pulse quickened, your, your blood pressure rose, and you started to think about you know, some bill that hasn't gotten paid, or the fact that the month lasts longer than the money lasts, or that you wish you were in a job that you were able to make more money in, uh, or maybe you even were thinking about a relationship that broke down uh, because of the topic of money. The reality is, is that money is a huge stressor in our lives. It's a significant source of stress. In fact, a couple of facts for you. Uh, 72% of Americans report feeling stress regularly as it relates to money. A CNBC study showed that, stre- uh, that money is the number one source of stress well ahead of personal relationships and work. Before we dive into scripture and sort of look at this topic, just a couple things I wanted to share with you. Without a conscious decision on your part, you're going to fall back into dealing with money in the way that you learned it from your family in your growing up world. So if you don't think about it, if you don't make a a specific decision, you're going to end up handling money and having a relationship with money and finances that very much reflects what your story was when you were growing up. So as I was thinking about that and thinking about my own story a little bit, um, I grew up very poor. And probably the poorest point in our lives when we were growing up was this time where my dad felt called into ministry. I was going into eighth grade, and uh, part of preparing to go into ministry was he was going to be going to Bible college for three years. And so we sold our home and moved to New Brunswick, Canada. My dad was there on a student visa and uh, was not allowed to work. So for three years, we lived on the $24,000 that we had sold our house for, and I, one memory that I have of it that was is very poignant has impacted the rest of my life was that we couldn't, you know, like, you know, hot dogs are like the cheapest meat, right? So we couldn't just have hot dogs, though, and buns because, you know, I was a you know, growing eighth grade boy. I probably would have eaten two, you know, for a family of four. We might have had to have six or seven hot dogs. My mom had to come up with ways to, like, stretch hot dogs so she would have these recipes that she would put them into. And the one that really probably scarred me for life was this one that we, it was like a really hot sauce. And I remember like you'd sweat under your eyes, your nose would run when you had it. And uh, my brother and I like years later reflected on the fact that we've never really ever been able to eat hot dogs again, even though honestly the recipe wasn't that bad, but it was such a reflection of how poor we were at that point that we couldn't even have a hot dog a piece. We had to like stretch three hot dogs over the family of four or two hot dogs over the family of four, whatever it was. But it was a very, I, I mean, my mom was amazing. My parents are amazing with money, but they were very careful, and uh, we survived that time period. So, you know, I grow up, I uh, get married, and you marry into a family that has its own story with money, and um, has, it's captured, the differences between Jody's family and my family are captured with this story. So when we, we lived in the Northeast, and in, in the Northeast, every year, as you're going through the seasons, you might put away your summer clothes and pull out your winter clothes because you just, you know, the seasons are so distinct, you don't wear the same clothes in that season. 
And this happened probably not once, not twice, maybe like three times at least in our married lives, where when Jody pulled out her clothes from the, from the next season, uh, from the previous season, pulls them out and says, Brian, I found a $20 bill in my pocket. Isn't that amazing? You know, this is from some pair of pants that she hadn't worn for like six months. I'm like, you lost a $20 bill? How did that happen, right? And so, you know, there's a little bit of a difference with money. For her, it was found money. For me, it's like, how could we lose? We already had two nickels to rub together, and you lost $20 six months ago. Um, and I, it may still be happening in our marriage. I'm not really sure, but she no longer tells me about it. So, <laughs> Second thing that I wanted to share is that there's nothing in what I'm going to say today that's going to magically make all of your financial issues go away, you know? We're gonna look at what the Bible has to say about this topic, but there's nothing magic in it. And we have to reflect on the reality that your financial situation may not entirely be your issue, right? You could have had a major health problem There was no fault of any decisions that you've made that's impacting you financially, or there could be a major downturn in the world economy and you've been impacted by it in some kind of way as well. However, I really believe that uh, we, need to be, we need to be intentional about our finances. How do we own the moment when it comes to our money? I want you to remember something as we start here. If you don't do anything different when it comes to your money, you're going to end up on the same spinning, spinning, spinning kind of circle where hey, I, I spent money on something I shouldn't have. Now I can't pay this uh, debt that I have and I wish I was in a job that I had more money and it just keeps spinning and spinning. And if we don't own the moment, if we aren't intentional about our finances, we're just gonna continue to replicate what's happened before in our lives. My contention today is that in order for us to be intentional, in order for us to own the moment when it comes to our finances, there's four questions that we're gonna, you have to answer. You have to answer them for yourself and they're gonna relate to what the Bible has to say about money. Question one, will you worry or trust God with your finances? Will you worry or trust God with your finances? This one was interesting for me because I gotta say when I began like pouring through scripture a few weeks ago to try to understand what does the Bible say about money, this was not one that I expected to have be like, oh, one of these key drivers for thinking about this sermon. But I, over and over and over again, I found that this question was being uh, asked or answered in scripture. We talked earlier about the fact that money is the single largest stressor in most people's lives. It's what keeps you up at night, you know, thinking about whether a bill's going to get paid or not. Even when you make a really big purchase that you're happy about, very often you end up with what's called buyer's remorse because it's such a big stressor, right? When you buy a house or buy a car, oh, I shouldn't have done that because money is such a big thing. And guess what? God must have known that that was going to be the case because Scripture is filled with advice about how to think about this particular thing. So we're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, uh, 25, and we're gonna read down through 33. It says there, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is Jesus speaking. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what this passage is pointing out is that our human nature is to worry about the most basic of needs, what we're going to eat, what we're going to uh, drink, what we're going to wear. And so, you know, all of us as human beings have a tendency to worry about these things. And he's telling us we don't need to. We don't need to be stressed about them. So what do we do instead, right? How do we not stress? We trust God. We claim his promises. We put him first and, uh, and prioritize his expectations, right? That's what the whole passage finishes. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Does this mean that by applying that, that it takes care of all of our financial issues? I'm not so sure, but what it does say is that it changes what our priority and focus is in life. No longer are we stressed and worried about these everyday little kinds of things in our lives. Instead, we're concerned about God and what he wants us to be concerned about. So will we worry or trust God when it comes to our finances? Question two, will you waste your money or invest for the future? Will you waste your money or invest for the future? So let's admit it. We're Americans and we're really good at spending money, right? Uh, I read something as I was preparing for this study that the average American has $38,000 in personal debt, non-mortgage debt. That's typically either credit card debt and or student loans. Huge, right? And it's, it's uh, significant for us. And as I was thinking about this, I thought there's probably a couple of cases that really drive us in terms of this. One is the case of the person who uses shopping as therapy, right? They, uh, you know, love shopping. It's sort of what gives them joy, and they buy things they don't need uh, because it makes them feel good about life, uh, makes them feel better about their circumstances that they find themselves in. So some of you out there are men and you're thinking, oh, that's my wife or that's you know, my mom or my sister or something like that, right? It's not just women though. Men have, sometimes have the same thing. But that's not just, there's one scenario and there's a second scenario and this is gonna hit a little closer to home for you guys. And that's our tendency to have some big lifestyle activity that we really get into and, you know, and we, we find that there's a whole bunch of money to be spent on it, right? So I choose like, oh, I'm going to really get into downhill skiing. I need skis. I need uh, boots. I need poles. I need the right outfit. I need the four-wheel drive to get me there. And I need the condo at, at Mammoth to live in while I'm doing it. And, you know, it starts to get really expensive. And so most of us men, if you roll up our garage door, there's like this detritus of all these things that we were into for a while that we're no longer into anymore. And we've spent this money on it. We can't even park our car in there because we have all this other stuff that we are really into. 
In fact, just by a show of hands, who has a piece of exercise equipment in your house that you haven't used in the last month? Anybody, right? Several of us, some piece of exercise equipment that's, uh, that's there, right? So will we waste our money or invest for the future? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25. We're gonna be looking at verses 14 through 27. Let me just explain. This is a, a parable and Every parable is made up of two sets of truths that come from it. There's, uh, the reason a parable works is because it's based on an earthly truth that the audience would have understood that, uh, that Jesus would use and build upon to make a spiritual application. And usually when you're here at church and we're talking about a parable, we're looking at whatever the spiritual application is. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at this passage in terms of the earthly truth that Jesus was building this spiritual application from. Because what Christ is doing is saying this is true and because this is true I can make this spiritual application. The spiritual application here relates to the kingdom of God. The earthly truth relates to the importance of investing Uh, our resources wisely. So let's start with that background. Let's start in verse 14. For it, being the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. Uh, Just so you understand, the talent was a unit of money in that time period. It was actually comparable to 20 years of, of wages for a day laborer. So it's a significant amount of money. So it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one. So let's just be really clear. You know, the guy with five talents, yes, that was a lot of money that he had. The person with two talents, that was still a lot of money. And the person with one talent, that was still a lot of money as well. So I think sometimes we read into this story like the poor dude that only got one talent. You know, that's a a challenge, but that's not the reality here. So then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much." Enter into the joy of your master. And he also he who had also and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And it goes on from there. But in terms of the earthly truth that Christ is using in his parable to make his spiritual application, it's really clear. The expectation for us is to be careful with our resources and to invest systematically with them. What I really love about this passage, though, is the fact that the message from the master to each of the servants when they return is the same, whether they were somebody who'd done really well with their investment or just done okay with their investment, right? The message was the same, well done, good and faithful. And his message to the one who hadn't 
done what he should have done with it was that at the very least you should have put my money in the bank and uh, earned the interest that would have been possible from it. The principle here is to save systematically and invest. And when you start, it may just be a small part of what you have that you can put from your income into savings. If your employer has a 403B or a 401k retirement plan, take full advantage of it. Set goals and savings. Perhaps it's towards a down payment on a house or for a project for, or for receiving additional training that you can use to uh, secure a better job going forward. So the question comes down to, are you, going to um, are you going to waste your money or are you going to invest for the future? Question three, will you be greedy or generous? So that's the question, the real challenge, right? Everything in the world around us today tells us, hey, it's about you you make your decisions about how you're going to spend your money. You, uh, you, know, uh, you know, work on getting more money, focus on getting rich. But God calls us to something very different than that. He calls us to use our resources to make a positive difference in the lives of others. He calls us to be generous, to help meet the needs of others, to give of our resources to others. And interestingly, this is a challenge that comes with a promise. I was really struck when I went through scripture on this topic that not once, but several times in scripture, God's promise is that when we seek and help meet the needs of others, he blesses us. And I don't understand fully how that happens because it doesn't always happen financially, but there's some joy in giving when we give of others that we, that we receive this joy that's a real blessing to us. We're gonna take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine. And um, just to give a little bit of context to this passage, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's reminding them of a commitment that they've made. They had uh, heard that the, the people that were in the church in Jerusalem were struggling financially and they wanted to help. They felt the burden from it so they uh, we're going to take up an offering, they were going to take up a collection, and then they were going to send that offering or collection with Paul to help the people in the church at Jerusalem. So Paul's given them in chapter 9 some instructions about this, helping them get ready and be ready for, uh, for doing it. But starting in uh, verse 6, I want to read a couple of verses here, 6 and 7. The point is this, meaning the point of what he shared, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is their uh, getting ready for this offering, and Paul's message to them is to say, hey, if you're not very generous in your giving, and you're not going to be blessed particularly either, if you are generous in your giving, you will reap bountifully. I don't understand how that happens, but this is God's word making it clear to us that there's this reason for giving uh, that where we receive a blessing because of our willingness and ability to help other people who are in need. We see this uh, in other places in scripture as well. First Timothy chapter six, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes or their on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Some of you when, you, when I read that passage, are like, that's great. That's aimed at somebody else because I can point to somebody else who's richer than I am and that's for them and they need to be generous and I knew it, you know? Go Bernie or whatever, right? Um, I, that was, I shouldn't have done that. That was not in my sermon notes. <laughs> but here's the reality, guys. If you're here in America, you're wealthier than probably 95% of the other people in the world. This passage is written for all of us. So what's it say? It says we're to be generous and ready to share. That's our requirement for the wealth and, and what God has given us. We see this in, the, in Acts chapter two as well. Acts chapter two is the passage where after Peter has preached the sermon at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come on uh, the congregation that's there. They uh, says it starting in verse 42 that they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. That meant they wanted to learn more and more about what Christ had shared during his time on earth. And it says in that passage that when other people, when they saw other people that had need within their congregation, they were willing to sell what they had and meet those needs. So question three, are you willing to be generous with your money or help others or are you going to be greedy? And finally, question four, will you prioritize God or self with your money? Let's look at Mark chapter 10. We're gonna look at uh, starting verse 17. And as he, this is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So just a little bit of explanation. So this man comes up to Jesus and he calls him good teacher. It was a term, it was respectful, yes, but it wasn't reflective of who Jesus really was. And Jesus sort of calls him on it. He says, um, because the guy's asking about eternal life, and Jesus rightly points out, well, only God knows about eternal life, right? But he's making the point, that's actually me, that I can make that determination. Addressing me for who I really am may have been helpful in this situation. Uh, Verse 19 You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. What he's saying is there is that uh, he, since his bar mitzvah, had been obedient to what these commands were. He had been obedient to the, the 10 commandments. And Jesus knew this. But Jesus responds to him, and Jesus looking at him said, and loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Um, Sometimes we can wrestle with this passage, right? Does this mean all of us need to go sell everything we have and give to the poor and follow Christ? What Jesus is doing in this passage is recognizing that what separated this young man from being really able to follow God, to be in relationship with God through Christ, was the fact that his money was what he was trusting in instead of trusting in God. And God, and Christ calls him on it and says, you know, this is the thing you're trusting. I need, you, you've been a basically good person. The world looks at you and thinks you're religious, you're a good person, but really you're trusting in something else other than trusting in me. And if to make a difference, to be willing to give that up and follow me is what you need to be uh, able or willing to do. And, and he refuses to. He walks away and it's, you know, it goes on in the passage and talks about how difficult it is to, uh, to do. And I think um, 
it's the same requirement that Christ is making of us. He's asking you, saying, whatever it is that you're trusting in, you need to be willing to give that up and trust in me, to follow me wholly with who you are. And what happens a lot of times, this is very true of us as Americans, is we look at our wealth and we look at our money as our insurance policy, as our cushion from the world, as our protection, you know, our, and you can sort of tell it because when there's a lot of anxiety around your money, that's when you're oftentimes willing to turn to the Lord. When there isn't much, that oftentimes is what you're relying on instead. And God is calling us saying, hey, that's not what you're going to be trusting in. And if that's what you're trusting in, you need to be willing to give that up and you need to be able to give that up in order to follow me. Let's look at another passage on the same topic, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So godliness is just following Christ, following his lead, uh, having his righteousness lived out through us. With contentment, the idea of contentment is this sense of being satisfied with our lot in life, of not being upset by the position, the financial position that we find ourselves in. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So I know it's really, you hear this a lot, oh, you know, money is the root of all evil. Let's be clear, the passage says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's when money becomes the reason, the driver for you doing the kinds of things you're doing, and the promise is, is sure about what happens. And, and all of you can probably think of people that you've known in your lives that families have been ruined because dad or mom was pursuing money to such an extent that the relationships in the home broke down. Um, I received a, a text a couple weeks ago, and it was uh, about a person I had worked with years ago. Uh, I'd always had a bad feeling about him when I worked with him, to be honest. And he was very, even when I worked with him, very interested in money and making money. And he's recently been indicted on fraud charges uh, for, by, for trying to defraud investors and trying to defraud the state of California. And he's, his life has been, in many ways, probably ruined. Uh, and this was somebody who claim to follow God very much fits what this passage is describing, that the love of money uh, results in all kinds of problems uh, from it. And it really comes down to the, are you willing to prioritize God or are you gonna prioritize self when it comes to your money? What does it mean to prioritize God? What it means to prioritize God is to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. Nothing that we have really belongs to us. And so when I think about giving, it's not that I, I at the, you know, I, I hoard everything I have and, and I reluctantly, if I have anything left at the end of the week, would put it into the offering plate or that I would meet, help meet somebody else's needs if everything I wanted to spend my own money on, I've been able to take care of. What God's calling us to in this is to say, will you prioritize me? Will you recognize that what you have is from me and therefore uh, be willing to give with that concept in mind? When you, um, I'm the first, I'm the one that you provided all of this for you and you give from that perspective rather than the other way around where what I want and what I have is my own priority. So, Thinking back to where we started, the reality is 
is that without making a conscious decision related to money, without owning the moment when it comes to money, without being intentional about what you do with money, you're gonna fall into the same patterns, the patterns you learn from your, your family, the patterns of this life just sort of spinning and spinning where I don't have enough money and I don't pay all my bills and I get into financial trouble and I get worried about it and, and it just keeps going around and around. And what God's calling us to at this moment, at this time is to be intentional about our finances to be willing to ask these tough questions and to own the moment when it comes to our finances. So I'll ask you again, will you worry or trust God when it comes to your money? Will you waste your money or invest for the future? Will you be generous or greedy? And will you prioritize God or self with your money. Let's pray. God, it's so challenging to think about. Lord, you've been so gracious to us. You've provided resources to us. Help us to be wise stewards with them, Lord. Help us to be willing and able and to be challenge ourselves to ask these, these questions that will help us own the moment when it comes to our money. There may be people here in this congregation that feel like money is owning them and the challenges of money are owning them because they're waking up in the night stressed and, and, and feeling discouraged about it and knowing they're not doing what they need to be doing in this area and not sure where to begin. But Lord, I just would, just would ask that today would be a day where they look at these questions and ask these questions and, and, and Lord, trust you with this whole area of their life to choose the choices you would have for them as it relates to money. God, we look at it as a privilege to live in the country that we live in, and we know that the, the disparity between wealth and poor in our country often means that we're looking at others and desiring what they have, and Lord, I just would ask that you'd relieve us of that. Help us to be, have righteousness with contentment, Lord, that we would um, recognize that you're providing and meeting our needs and that our trust is in you and that our focus is on you and your kingdom. Lord, as we take a moment now to, um, and the ushers come forward and we offer these tithes and offerings to you, Lord, it's just, again, a reminder that this is all yours and you've privileged us, you've given us the opportunity to share and we ask that we'd be good stewards of it, Lord, and for our church to be good stewards of it as well, meeting the needs of those in this community who are struggling, who, uh, who have challenges that they're dealing with through the ministries that we support we ask this in your son's name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.